Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. The church got really good at saying that for a long time, didn't we? God's about to do something. God's about to do something. God's about to do something. We talked ourselves out of generations of God doing something because we thought he wasn't going to do it for generations. But this is the house where God is doing something. I didn't plan on saying that, but God is doing something in the house. Uh, I want to talk to you over the next couple of weeks about, um, about being a light I um I preached a message, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks ago now, um, out of Isaiah, where uh, we talked about Jesus as the light of the world. Jesus coming into the world as the light of the world. Isaiah 9, verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And that was the uh, primary text of that message. Um, the people that Isaiah prophesied to were in deep, deep, deep darkness. And Jesus' coming was the answer for the darkness. Jesus arriving on the scene was the light that changed everything. We talked about, if you were here, we talked about that light that Isaiah prophesied. That light was not a, um, a flashlight shining in the corner. It was not a little campfire that you see burning in a big mighty forest. It wasn't, um, it wasn't some little bitty light that was striving and struggling against the darkness, competing against the darkness. It was the type of light, actually the, the light that, that the Hebrew word is talking about when Isaiah prophesies, it is the light of the, of the sun. It is the, the, Jesus would refer to himself in Revelation as the bright and morning star. It is, the, it is the light of a new day. It's not the type of light that um, we, love the, we love the psalm, the lamp unto my feet and light unto my path, but it's not that kind of light. It's the kind of light that actually turns the page on darkness. It's the kind of light that actually eradicates and removes and gets rid of darkness. And so that was, um, that was where we were in that message. And I feel like we're just supposed to kind of continue in that vein. So out of Isaiah 9, that's the messianic prophecy about Jesus coming, right? How many of you know that? You guys know that. You guys are the faithful. Isaiah 9, he prophesies that Jesus is coming. Flip over to Isaiah 60. Let me get there. I lost my bookmark. Isaiah 60. Isaiah is talking about the light that has come, okay? So Isaiah 9, Isaiah is prophesying about a light that will come, that will be a solution for darkness, and that solution is a son that he prophesies, Jesus. Isaiah 60, Isaiah is talking about the light has come, Jesus has come, okay? So by the Spirit, we know Isaiah lives before Jesus on the earth. By the Spirit, Isaiah is talking about a day after Jesus has come. Jesus is the light. John 1 tells us that. He is the light. There's no other light coming. So the light that Isaiah 60 is talking about is Jesus. So in Isaiah 60, Isaiah says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, 
and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So in Isaiah 9, Isaiah is talking about there's a people who live in darkness and they're going to see a great light. There's a land that's in darkness and a light is coming to them. And in Isaiah 60, he says that light has come and now he's talking to those who have received that light. And he says the responsibility for those who have received the light is to do something with the light. And that's what I want to talk about um, over the next several weeks is... um, is what it looks like to be a light. Uh, that's a phrase we throw around a ton in Christianese. We talk about being a light and shining our light and 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 having the light and don't hide your light. And I mean, from the time from if you've been in children's church, we talk about that from as small as we can get you to remember it. We we beat it into your head. Shine the light. You're the light. Jesus is the light. He gave you the light. Now you go shine your light. But what does it mean to be the light? Like practically. What does it look like for a people to be the light of the world? And uh, I don't want to get too far into that because we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But, but Jesus actually calls us the light of the world. He doesn't call us the light of the church. He calls us the light of the world in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Not the light of the church and not the salt of the saved. We're the light of the world. So what does it practically look like to be a light? Because it's really easy to take the allegories and the metaphors of this book and to keep them as allegories and metaphors and to talk poetically about this um, kingdom that exists somewhere in the ether that we know we're a part of, but we we don't really know how we participate in it. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It's really easy to say, I'm a part of the kingdom, and uh, I'm glad to be a part of the kingdom, but never actually understand how to do what Jesus has called us to do. What does it look like to actually be a light? What does Jesus mean when he says that we're supposed to be a light? Um, I felt like we were supposed to read a couple more verses in Isaiah 60, and then we'll get into the New Testament, okay? So, um, in Isaiah 60... He is prophesying to people who have received the light. So this is a New Testament. Don't get messed up. It's in the Old Testament, but it's a New Testament prophecy. It is two people who have received the light. And he says that the responsibility for people who have received the light is to arise and shine. Arise and shine, which sounds really awesome. Again, what does that mean? Arise and shine there is, um, in the Hebrew, it is not a, um, it's not a casual, it's not a casual thing. In fact, in the Hebrew, um, the, uh, the Blue Letter Bible tells us that this is in a, it is a hostile sense. It is to become powerful. To arise and shine is not a, um, it's not a thing that happens by happen chance. Uh, a lot of times, um, there used to be a saying that went around, and I don't remember what denomination claimed it or which church father claimed it. And it was, it was said with good intention, and it said something like this. I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but it said something like, "Preach the gospel and uh, preach the gospel, and if you must use scripture, or if you must uh, say the name of Jesus, or something to that effect." And um, I, I think there has been, uh, I, I think. 
that's good, and I know that's with a good intention, and that is true that your life can preach, and it's true that your life should preach, but I think we also have to be careful that the pendulum doesn't swing so far in one, in, in, into, that, into that flow that we just tell people that shining as a Christian just happens by chance. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Arising and shining, according to the prophet Isaiah, is not something that just happens, um, oh, just because. It is something that is intentional. It is something that a believer does on purpose. Arising and shining is something that someone does because they recognize that someone has intentionally arose and shone on their life intentionally. Jesus intentionally shine his light into my life on purpose. Not by happen chance, but he purposefully shined his light into my life. And it is not by happen chance or by circumstance that that light now shines through me. It has to be an intentional effort on my part to shine that light. Does that make sense? It doesn't just come by happen chance. I have to, I have to actually set my mind... To shine that light. I have to set my heart to shine that light. Pastor Matt talked to, uh, a couple weeks ago about um, what would it look like if I, work, if I, if I worshipped on mission. If I, if I came into the house on mission. It is, it, is living, it is living my life with an understanding that I'm not just going through the motions. And somebody might just pick up. Um, the fragrance of Jesus just because. It is actually doing things on purpose. Jesus, um, in the story when Jesus washes feet before he goes to Gethsemane, he, the, the scripture says that he takes a towel, he ties it around himself, a bowl of water is prepared, and then he goes and washes the feet. The, the implication is, is that Jesus didn't just by happen chance accidentally wash feet. I know that's a silly example because how could you accidentally wash feet? But the, 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 the point is, is that shining the light of Jesus is not something that just happens by accident. They are intentional, purposeful decisions that are made to, Paul would say, to die to ourselves so that he may live. I know that doesn't sound awesome, um, but that's the gospel. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the gospel. All of Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul about the power of the cross and the power of me dying so that he can live. And it doesn't happen just because, oh, somebody will get it at work or my kids will get it. Or my wife will get it. No, no, no. I've got to set aside time that I'm going to read the Bible intentionally with my kids before they go to bed. I'm going to hold hands and pray intentionally with my kids in the morning before they go to school. Those things don't just happen by accident. If I'm going to shine a light, it has to be because I decided I am purposefully going to shine a light. Okay. Verse 3. Oh, let me read verse 2. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will appear upon you. In other words, Jesus doesn't send angels to dispel the darkness of Winchester, as cool as that would be. Like, He's not sending Gabriel or Michael to get rid of the drug problem in Winchester. That would be really awesome, but that's not how He's getting rid of... Um, 
that's not how he's getting rid of, of the family issues in Winchester. He's getting rid of it by the people who he has shined on, intentionally making a decision, making decisions to rise up and to shine in the lives of the people that they're connected to. Verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That word brightness could just say light. In other words, nations will come to your light and kings to the light of your rising. In other words, people will be drawn to this light if we make decisions to intentionally shine for him. It, we don't do it we, um, we don't do it because we want to attract nations or we want to attract kings. And this is prophetic language. So it's talking about when he says nations, remember he's prophesying to Israel. He's prophesying about a day that, that they can't see yet, but he's prophesying to Israel. Who are the nations to Israel? They're the heathen. Remember? Who are the heathen? They're the godless. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying those people who don't have God, they are going to come in to you. Why? Because of the brightness of your shining. Not because you just got up and went through the motions, but because you intentionally decided, I'm going to do something today. I'm going to make a decision today. I'm going I'm to serve somebody today. I'm going to do something today to make sure that he who has shined on me gets to shine through me. And, and, and I don't know what that looks like. It's, um, I wish I could give you a formula, and I wish we had a track to give out that said, here are the five steps to make sure you're shining for Jesus. But unfortunately, he said, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. And he requires that I walk in relationship with him, that we walk in relationship with him, and he leads us in that relationship. And so one day, it may be, it may be helping the guy on the corner who's asking for, for a dollar because he doesn't have any money. And one day it may be praying for your coworker because their family is going through hell and they feel like their marriage is falling apart. And maybe it's just one day building Legos with your kid at the kitchen table over Christmas break because that's what you've been called to do as a father or mother. I don't know what it looks like. It's whatever he leads you into, but it is not by accident. It is not by accident, and it is a lie. It is a lie that living this life will just produce a shining that people will just happen to see, and they'll just happen to notice. That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom is intentional. The kingdom is purposeful. Jesus sees the disciples in a boat, rowing in a storm, and he's walking on the water, and the scripture says he was going to walk right past them. Why? Because the kingdom is headed somewhere. The kingdom is going somewhere. And they had to constrain him to stop and come and help them. And then Peter asked to get out of the boat. But the kingdom is intentional. The kingdom doesn't happen by accident. In anything, the kingdom doesn't happen by accident. Okay, verse 4. Raise your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Okay. So verse 3, he says, nations come to your light. So people you don't know, foreigners you don't know, people, the godless come to your light, kings to the brightness of your shining. Verse 4, he says, your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried on the hip. Sons will come from afar, daughters will be carried on the hip. So 
not only, not only does Isaiah promise that there's coming a day that those who have been shined on, who promise, who make a decision to shine for him, that yes, they're going to draw the nations, they're going to draw the godless, they're going to draw the heathen of the world, and that's wonderful, that's glorious. But he said that my children, my children, Brandon's kids, they're going to see they're going to see the brightness of the shining. They're going to they're going to come to this light if I make intentional decisions to shine. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. Listen. I I love you guys to death. I'm all in on winning Winchester, but I'm all in on winning Sawyer Graham and Eli first. I'm all in on winning those kids first. And if and if my intentional decisions do nothing more than draw them to the brightness of his shining through my life, Good enough for me. Good enough for me. And if we win Winchester in the process, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And if the multitudes flood this house, thank you, Jesus. But the Lord told me, I didn't think I was ever supposed to share this, but the Lord told me one time, I asked him, I said, how do you win a city? How do you win a city? There, where do you start? And he said, one family at a time. You win a city one family at a time. I've got to start with my family. I'm never going to win that family if I don't win my family. And he said that if I make the decision to shine, that my sons and my daughters come to the brightness of that shining. It's enough for me. It's enough for me. Sons and daughters there in Hebrew, by the way, that's grandkids too. It's grandsons and granddaughters. So I get to count them all. I get to count them all. My generations will come to the brightness of Jesus' shining if I make the intentional decisions in my life to say, I'm not going to live for me. I'm not going to just make decisions for me. I'm not going to just work for me. I'm not just going to go after my own. I'm not just going to try and make all the money for me. I'm going to live for the kingdom and the king. I'm going to make intentional decisions every day. Sometimes they will be monumental sacrifices. And sometimes they will be the smallest things. Because sometimes the kingdom, sometimes the kingdom looks like marching around a wall and screaming. And sometimes the kingdom looks like a little leaven that leavens the whole lump. That's how the kingdom works. And my kids, my kids are promised to come to the brightness of the shining if I... If I choose to shine intentionally. If I choose to shine intentionally. I want Winchester. I want Central Kentucky. I want it so bad I can taste it. But man, I want those kids. And I want my grandkids. I want them worse than I want Winchester. But it doesn't come by happen chance. It has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. And much of the church has believed that if I just live a good life... If I just live a decent life, if I just fulfill my little lot in life, then people will just happen to see Jesus. And, and maybe they'll catch a glimpse. But much more so, according to Scripture, if we intentionally, purposefully arise and shine. Okay, go to John 1. I don't think anybody even has a Bible. John 1. Does that make sense? Okay. It's a New Testament promise buried in the Old Testament. It's as New Testament as Isaiah 53. 
It's as New Testament as Isaiah 53. If you believe that by his stripes you are healed, you get to believe that by shining for him intentionally that your kids are saved. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, apart from Him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Apart from Him, not even one thing has come into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. In God, life and light are always connected. Life and light are always connected. In Him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The life that was in Jesus was the light that came shining into the world. That means the light that He shined on me and the light that I get to shine into the world, it brings life into situations. It brings life into dead things. It it resurrects dead things. Jesus is still the resurrection and the life. He is still the resurrection and the life. And that light, oh gosh, there was a word. Um, I think it was when Leora was sick. And the Lord gave a word during that time. And it said something to the effect of, of he doesn't just shine his light on the dark things to, illum- to illuminate and show us the gloom and the misery and the darkness. But he shines his light so that he can bring life into those things that are dark and dead and bring them back to life again. And he gave that word. I, I think it was right up here. He gave that word in the middle of Leora's cancer battle. Probably just weeks before she was healed. I don't know that for a fact, but... His light and his life are always connected. They're always connected. Psalm 36, 9 says, For with you is a fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Life and light are always connected. It's not um, the light that he shines on us and then through us is not just illuminating the bad stuff in people's lives. It's not just shining a spotlight on all their mess-ups and faults and failures. It's actually imparting a grace so that they can come into a place where they don't have to be that thing anymore. Where they don't have to live in that addiction anymore or in that pain anymore or in that hurt anymore. It's more than just, it's more than just saying the right thing. It's actually bringing life to situations. It's, the, it's having the right words to say in the moment when you have no idea what to say. And it changes, it changes the atmosphere of a room. It changes the atmosphere of a room. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Uh, I think I quoted this uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Damon Thompson says you can translate that verse... Uh, the darkness did not comprehend, it could not distinguish nor extinguish it. The darkness couldn't understand it and it couldn't comprehend it. It couldn't comprehend it and it couldn't overcome it. The darkness couldn't do anything with that light. And that same light, that very same light, is the same light that is shining through us. Matthew 5, he says, we are the light of the world. It's not some other light. There's only one light. Does that make sense? There's only one light, and it's him, and he is shining through us. Okay. Verse 6, a man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. 
he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. I feel like it took us a long time to get here, but I think it was worth it. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Uh, the ESV says he came as a witness to bear witness. I like that better. It's easier to remember, that's for sure. Uh, we will never be able to bear witness about what we have not witnessed. We are called to witness about the light. We're called to bear witness of the light, but we can't bear witness of a light that we haven't witnessed. I can't, uh, I love, I love the stories that the apostle tells. They're awesome. They're wonderful. But if my only history with Jesus are the stories that the apostle tells, I don't have a witness. I don't have a witness. I got a Rolodex of somebody else's history. I got a Rolodex of stories. I've got to bear witness for my, I've got to witness for myself if I want to bear witness for myself. I've got to have my own witness if I'm going to bear witness. Um, Jesus says when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John three, he says that we uh, we talk about what we know, and we testify or witness about what we've seen or what's been uh, what's been revealed to us. We have whatever's been revealed to us, we have full authority to witness about. That means everything that Jesus has ever been to us, we have the authority to witness about. This is, this is what it looks like to testify, to be a light. Whatever Jesus has ever been to us, we now have the authority to bear witness of that. If Jesus has ever healed me, then I have the authority to now bear witness about that. If Jesus has ever provided for me, I have the authority to now bear witness that Jesus is a provider. If he's ever, okay, well, maybe that's, well, I don't have those kind of, you know, Brandon, I don't have those kind of miraculous encounters with the Lord. Okay, if Jesus has ever shown up in the middle of a crazy season and given peace in a moment when there shouldn't have been peace, then I have the ability to testify that Jesus is peace in the middle of chaos. Does that make sense? This is the... Uh, this history with God is an arsenal that we get to testify about, that we get to bear witness about His light. So it says that John came, John came as a witness to bear witness about the light so that he might believe through Him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Um, John came to testify about the light. What did John's testimony look like? Verse 19, John 1, 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests from the Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Uh, Steve, I'm actually going to read the rest of this, so don't kill me. I didn't put these in there. Verse 20. And he confessed and did not deny. And this is what he confessed. I am not the Christ. And so they asked him, What then are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He's answered no. And they said to him, Who are you? Tell us, that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Make straight, make the way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. Okay, so they come to John. They come to John and they're like, Tell us who you are. John, uh, John the Baptist is in the wilderness, and John the Beloved, John the Apostle, says this, uh, he came to testify about the light, and this is his testimony. 
And he gives this big uh, summary that doesn't actually really feel like a testimony because he actually doesn't talk about Jesus. He's like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And they're like, they're like, are you, are you? And he's like, no, I'm not that guy, I'm not that guy. And they're like, okay, uh, what are you? And he's like, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. None of that, none of that talks about Jesus. So, so what is John's testimony? Is he just the guy screaming in the wilderness? Jump down a couple of verses. Verse 29. This is the summary of what John's testimony was. Verse 29. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John's testimony. This is John's testimony. Verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two disciples. And looking at Jesus, walking, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. John spent his whole life, the summary of John's testimony was, Don't look at me, look at Jesus. This is the summary of John's whole testimony. And you say, well, that's John the Baptist. That's right, that's John the Baptist. What is John the Baptist? John the Baptist is the page turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Is he a prophet? Yeah, absolutely. But what did, did John come to prepare the way of the Lord? Yep, absolutely. He came with a special Elijah anointing? Absolutely. But what did John do? John pointed people to Jesus. Everything he did was to point people to Jesus. John came baptizing people in the river. Why did he baptize people in the river? Because he was pointing out that they needed salvation. Why did he point out that they needed salvation? Because they couldn't do it on their own and a Savior had to come. What was he doing? He was pointing people to Jesus. When he's rebuking the Pharisees and he calls them a brood of vipers and he says, who warned you to free, flee from the wrath that's coming? And he's, and he's talking about keeping fruit with repentance. What is he doing? He's pointing people to Jesus. He's pointing people to Jesus. What does it look like to be a light in the world, to be the light shining for Jesus? It looks like pointing people to Jesus. It looks like, nope. I'm not anything, I'm not anything, I'm not anything. Jesus is everything. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And of all the myriad of things that we can do in all the myriad of categories, it must fit into those parameters. Not me, look at Jesus. That is what it looks like to be a light. John had, John had a special anointing. Yep, John had a special calling. Yep, John had a special gifting. Yep, but what did he come to do? Point people to Jesus. Look at the life of Paul. Was Paul gifted? Absolutely. Was Paul talented? Absolutely. Was he smart? Absolutely. But what did Paul do? Point people to Jesus. What did Paul continually say? I'm nothing. In fact, I must become John would say, I must become more nothing. Paul would say, I'm, I'm actually something. I'm the chief of all the sinners. That's what I am. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. John the Beloved would write, it's all about Jesus. Peter would write, it's all about Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews of the book of Hebrews would write, look at Jesus. Look away from everything else and look to Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a light. This is what it looks like to be a light. Well, can I? Should I? What if I? Sure. Are you pointing people to Jesus? Are you a doctor? Awesome. Point people to Jesus. 
Are you a nurse? Fantastic. Point people to Jesus. Are you in school? That's wonderful. Point people to Jesus. I work at a construction company. I do my best to point people to Jesus. And man, they need Jesus. And lots of days I need Jesus. Matt works at a paint company in the middle of a car factory. But he's not just working in a paint factory, at a paint company in the middle of a car factory. He's pointing people to Jesus. It's not just from here with a microphone. It is the purpose of the light to point people to the source of the light. It is to point people to Jesus. And we get, um, we get in our own way when we think it has to look a certain way and feel a certain way and sound a certain way. And well, I'm not. And well, I am. And well, I can't. And well, I shouldn't. And listen, just point people to Jesus. If you're going to Walmart, point people to Jesus. That is what it looks like to be a light. All John the Baptist did was point people to Jesus. He stood on the bank of a dirty river and just screamed at people, Here comes the Lamb. That's all he did. And he was crazy. How many of you have seen The Chosen? How many of you watched The Chosen? Okay, if you haven't watched The Chosen, go watch it. What are you doing? Go watch The Chosen. It's incredible. They portray Jesus beautifully. Anyway, in The Chosen, they call John the Baptist Crazy John. So, Crazy John stood on the bank of a Jordan, eating bugs and, and wearing camel fur. And all he did is scream at people, here comes Jesus. That's all he did. His whole life was, here comes Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus said, he is the greatest who has ever been born among women. Ever. Ever. He is the greatest who has ever been more. You thought Moses was incredible? You ain't seen nothing. John is way better. Why? Because John pointed people to Jesus. Moses took them through a sea and that's awesome. But John said, here comes the lamb. Here comes the lamb. And it doesn't have to look or feel or sound a certain way. As long as you're pointing them to Jesus. This is what it looks like to be the light. We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be, gosh, I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to, I'm going to have to do it now. I'm not going to be able to do it next week. I'm going to do it now. I don't care. Matthew 5, four, verse 14. The light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. The city is set on the hill. Notice that Jesus calls the light a city. What's a city when Jesus is talking? It is a walled, surrounded, secure, safe place. Jesus said, you're the light. And the light ought to feel safe. The light ought not feel condemning. The light ought not feel judgmental. The light ought not feel like it's a finger wagging in somebody's face telling them about all they did wrong and all their shame and all their guilt and all their condemnation. And I know there's a... I know there's a group of people out there who say, like, sinners need to be told they're sinners. No, they don't. That's stupid. Sinners don't need to be told they're sinners. And if they do, let the Holy Spirit do it. He's really good. He is really good at confirming in people's hearts what they have messed up. Jesus said the light ought to feel like a city. It ought to feel safe. It ought to feel walled. It ought to feel, it ought to feel protected. It ought to feel like a place you can run to for refuge. You are a city set on a hill, and you cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What are, what are good works? That word works in the Greek is just whatever you're doing. It's not anything special. It is, uh, if I remember correctly, it's business, employment, whatever one sets himself to do. That means literally whatever you are doing, do it in such a way that they see the Father. How? Point them to Jesus. Because they're not going to see the Father any other way than looking at the one who is the image of the Father. He is the perfect image of the invisible God. And this is what it looks like to be a light. Winchester won't find him by accident. Winchester will not find him by accident. It will take a people who say we're going to live our lives to arise and shine. It's not going to happen just because we went about our day and we accidentally bumped into them. And an angel fell down from glory and, and, and whatever happened and, and 15 people fell out at Walmart because, because just by happen chance. It, it's not going to happen that way. It will take a people that say I'm going to live intentionally to make sure I point People to Jesus. I point people to Jesus. I'm not going to point people to the book, although the book is great. I'm not going to point people to a house, although the house is wonderful. I'm certainly not going to point people to a doctrine or a theology. I've got to point them to Jesus. I'm going to point them to Jesus. And Jesus will take them to the book. And Jesus will take them to a house. And Jesus will bring them into theology. And Jesus will bring them into doctrine. It's got to be about Jesus. It's got to be about Jesus. The the The... The, the church explosion model of the New Testament is Acts. Peter preached Jesus. Paul preached Jesus. Barnabas, Saul, Silas, they preached Jesus. They went to the Bereans and they said, Look, we found Jesus in the Scriptures. And the Bereans opened the Scriptures and it says that they studied them diligently. And they went, Oh my gosh, you're right. Jesus is right there. They didn't say we found this cool new club to join and, and there's lots of benefits and we think that we can get a bunch of people to get together on Sundays. They said we found Jesus. We found Jesus. It's got to be about Jesus. I know I'm saying that a lot, but it's got to be about Jesus. It's got to stop being about all the other stuff and be about Jesus. It's the only thing that matters. He's the only thing that matters. Only Him. Only Him. And that's what it looks like to be the light. To point people to Jesus. It's not hard. And it's not complicated. But it does take intentional decisions and effort. Intentional decisions and effort. Lots of, uh, lots of folks have promises over their lives. Lots of houses have promises over their house. About people they're supposed to reach. And groups they're supposed to touch. And they're waiting on God to break down the door. And rip off the roof. And do something like he did 40 years ago. At a Brownsville or a Toronto or some great move of God. And thank you for what he did then. But he is waiting on people to move intentionally. The book of Mark. At the end of Mark it says that they went out. And they preached the word. And he confirmed what they were saying. In other words, he saw that they were moving. And he went, yeah, I'm putting my amen on that. I'm putting my amen on that. They didn't just sit. 
Sure, they waited for the promise to come, but after that, they got out of the house and they went. We got to get out of the house. We got to get out of the house. Sometimes it looks like Walmart, and sometimes it just looks like work. Sometimes it just looks like work, but it doesn't have to look a certain way. It just looks like pointing people to Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm done. You can stand. The scripture says, the scripture says that uh, John the Baptist didn't perform a miracle. He didn't do any signs. He didn't have any wonders. They said, uh, the disciples said, man, John, John was awesome, but he didn't do any miracles or signs or wonders. And they looked at Jesus. And they said, he's doing all these wonders, signs, and miracles. The point is, in some circles, John would be considered a failure. A ministry failure because John didn't have a line of healings. And John, God, I didn't mean to step in that. John didn't have a line full of healings or testimonies that followed him. He didn't have people falling out on the floor around him. But Jesus said he is the greatest to have ever been born. And he was the one who turned the page. Jesus said, I'm going to stop in a minute. Jesus said, all the law, all the prophets prophesied up until John. Not up until me, up until John. John's ministry is the beginning of the New Testament. John's ministry is the beginning of the New Testament. Which is, here comes the Lamb. And then when he showed up, it was, there is the Lamb. We focus on, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And John's ministry was that for a season until the one he was preparing the way for showed up. And then that stopped. And then he started saying, there he is, there he is, there he is, there he is. So much so that at the end of John 1, he said, there he is, the lamb who takes a... I picture John standing there and walks by, and Jesus walks by and he screams, there's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And two of John's disciples go... Well, all right, we're following that dude. And they take off following Jesus. And those become two of the twelve apostles who flipped the world upside down. Because one dude who had no healings, no miracles, no signs, no wonders. One dude was going, there's the lamb. That's the lamb. That's the lamb. That's the lamb. And it may not look like Benny Hinn. And it may not look like Oral Roberts. And it may not look like the greats of old. And it may not look like Rodney Howard Brown or Randy Clark or you fill in the blank. But if you're pointing people to Jesus, heaven goes, we love it. And hell goes, we fear it. It's the only message hell's worried about. It's the only message hell's worried about. I feel Jesus, man. It's the only message hell's worried about. Hell's not worried about signs, wonders, and miracles. Hell's worried about people being pointed to Jesus. Hell's worried about a city fixing their eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus and people won't have to fix your eyes on Jesus and the miracles will come. Don't fix your eyes on miracles and look for Jesus. Okay, I'm done for real now. John was the greatest success the world has ever seen, according to Jesus. And all he did was point people to Jesus. All he did was point people to Jesus. And he was not the light, but he came to testify of the light.
He came to testify of the light. And we, we have been called to testify of the light. And I may not have the same anointing as John, but I've got the same light. I've got the same light. Okay, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are still the hope of the world. Lord, you're the hope of Winchester. You're the hope of Richmond. You're the hope of Central Kentucky. And Lord, we don't care what it looks like. We are going to be the people who intentionally point people to you. If it looks like a mighty ministry that sweeps the nation and goes around the world, so be it. And if it looks like a mom or a dad who raises some good kids and who is a good spouse and a good employee and who people can count on as a friend and who does good work, then so be it. Whatever our lot is, let us stand in it and point people to Jesus. Give us the grace to point people to Jesus. Help us to be intentional about pointing people to Jesus. To make decisions every day, Holy Spirit, to point people to Jesus. Not to serve myself. Don't let me serve me. I want to serve me. Everything about me wants to serve me. Kill that thing. Kill that thing. And help me to serve the people around me so that they will say, that's not right. That's not natural. That's not, that's not human. That's got to be something else. And let me point them to Jesus. Let me point them to Jesus. Father, let Winchester see Jesus. Let Winchester see Jesus because a group of people are radical enough not to chase the stuff, but to walk after the man, Christ Jesus. We're coming after you, Jesus. We're coming after you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing. Do more, Lord. Do more. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.